0: Wretched Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. If the God of the Bible really
1: exists, I would go
0: gladly to hell. And anybody happy to go to heaven to worship such a creature
2: is morally bankrupt. It is because God's wrath is real that His mercy is relevant. Unless you have a real wrath, the biblical concepts of mercy and of grace are robbed of
1: their meaning. It's time for Wretched Radio. With Todd Frio. Welcome to 10 tips to help you not become a heretic. This is Wretched Radio. Who wants to be known as a false teacher? Actually, a lot of people, apparently, because we have a slew of them, but you don't want to be on the false teacher list. And so, for your consideration, courtesy of cripplegate.com, Ten tips to keep you from straying into the weeds of heresy. This is actually a list that was compiled from a lecture given by Nancy Guthrie at Christ College in Sydney. The subject was biblical theology, and she offered ten ways that biblical theology helps Christians, specifically It helps us to rightly divide the word of truth because these days there are far too many of us and far too many youth, perhaps even especially young'uns, that don't really understand the overarching narrative of the Bible. They don't know where things fit. They know stories, but they don't know the story. And so you can ask a young person, hey. Give me one of your favorite stories. Oh, David and Goliath. Cool. Where does that fit in the biblical narrative? What? They they don't. It's just a story. And I remember this because I remember when I first started reading the Bible, when I was desiring to understand it, it was, it was, this is why so many people can just flop their Bible open. I'm going to read the Bible. I'll just put it on its binding and... Read it right there because doesn't really matter. Hopefully, it's something interesting. Otherwise, I'm out. We need to make sure that our children understand there is a flow to Scripture. It is a story of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is historical narrative, actual history, and it is not wandering aimlessly. It is purposeful. And we need to do perhaps a better job of helping our kids use biblical theology when they read the stories of the Bible. Uh, Let's tackle our top 10 ways to not become a heretic. Number one, biblical theology makes Bible study Christ-centered instead of me-centered. If you remember that the Bible is about Jesus, you're less inclined to ask, what does that verse say to me? Now, there is an application for me and for you, but the question is, what does this verse say about God? What does this tell me about Jesus Christ? If all of creation is like a spotlight, it is aimed at the throne of Jesus, we need to make sure when we're reading our Bibles that we are reading it to know him and to focus on him, and then we can apply it. To us. From the article, Failure to Study the Bible This Way leads to interpreting scripture by how it relates to you, which leads to selfishness and pride. And I don't know about you, but I got plenty of that and I don't need no more. Number two, biblical theology teaches the larger story of the Bible instead of disconnected vignettes. What in the world is actually, I think I've had a vignette on my salad once in a <laughs> While, from the article, by t- tying the parts into the whole, you see the gospel is central. Failure leads to reading Bible stories as if they were written to teach moral lessons. That's why so often, so many sermons. Okay, open your Bible to Second Samuel. That we're going there. Okay. And then we read about somebody we may or may not be familiar with them, and then we are given a moral lesson. There could be a moral inside of that historical narrative, but that's not the point, the preeminent point of the Bible. It's to help us to see God's plan of redemption promised in Genesis 3.15, in the beginning, man sins, we are now faced with death, thorns. Pain in childbearing, and God promises, I'm going to send a seed to crush the head of the serpent, but it's going to bruise his heel. Who's the seed? That's what the whole Bible is about. It is not uncommon for us at Wretched to receive emails from people asking, which is an excellent question, how do I tackle this book? How do I read this thing? Well, there are a lot of different ways you can slice the bread, but if we don't remember that the Bible is about the bread of life, we're just going to start knowing stories. I'm thinking back now. I remember being catechized. That's right. I said catechized. And we had to memorize stuff, a lot of stuff. And then you had to stand there by yourself in a room with a teacher who quizzed you on it to make sure you knew. When did King David live? Did Which came first, Abraham or Moses? We need to be teaching those dates inside of the context of the big story, and biblical theology helps us to do just that. Number three, biblical theology helps us make sense of the whole Bible rather than the part of what we happen to like. It's easier to understand narratives over types So we focus on the stories that we dig instead of things like, what do you mean Jesus is the tabernacle? Wait wait a second, David is a picture of Jesus? Let's just read about David and his son Absalom so we can have some parenting tips about how to be a better dad. We like that. That's not the reason that we have David in the Bible. It is to point to Jesus who's the better David. We need to use biblical theology number four it helps us to understand challenging stories instead of questioning god here's an example hosea this is a story you want the guy to marry a prostitute what why in the world would god do that it's to paint a picture for us of god's patience and faithfulness and willingness to Forgive. That is what Hosea is about, not how to control your wife. Although I suspect that sermon has been preached more than once. Number five, biblical theology leads us to study what we need to know most instead of what we want to know most. Without biblical theology, we have a tendency to approach the Bible like a great big concordance. I need to know something about spending. I'm gonna go look up the word money. Okay, that's fine, we can certainly do that. In fact, frankly, we should do that. I find that to be a fun exercise. Yep, I'm that dorky, but that doesn't really help us to understand the Bible when we go look for this and we're scattershot all over the place instead remembering the arc of the story you turn to that section of scripture and you remember this is about Jesus this is pointing to him now you might say there's an awful lot of details in first and second samuel first and second kings and then they they get taken away to assyria then babylon and per- persia why 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 How is that all pointing to Jesus? It's God's faithfulness to his Abrahamic covenant of a land, a nation, and a seed. That is what the Old Testament is about. Now, you read it that way, and suddenly it's like, oh, I get it. This thing actually flows and goes. If we apply biblical theology, it focuses on the consummation of all things rather than on the individual's arrival in heaven. I thought this was interesting. When we don't read the Bible, Understanding the great narrative is Jesus, it leads to themes terminating on self. And those thematic chords terminate when the individual gets saved and has the assurance of heaven. Biblical theology pushes you forward to consummation. The story isn't done. God did not raise Jesus from the dead and then go, all righty. All done. Let's move on. No, he's still working, building his church for the consummation of all things. Number eight, biblical theology helps us make sense of suffering. Oops, I forgot seven. That's okay. Seven wasn't very good anyway. I'll just be honest with you. Biblical theology helps us make sense of suffering by finding answers in how we relate back to God rather than finding answers in our circumstances. Let me explain. Biblical theology drives somebody who is hurting to a deeper answer. Because sin has wrecked the world and sin causes death and we are weak with limited knowledge, but God knows all things, gave up his only son so that we could be united with him in the resurrection and restored to the new heavens and the new earth. Oh, that's the role my suffering plays. But if you remove the big picture, your suffering is rather random, perhaps capricious, and you're getting angry with God. Number nine, biblical theology equips us to communicate gospel to the kids rather than moralism. David and Goliath ain't about how to be brave. It's about Jesus, the better David, slaying Sin, on our behalf, number 10, biblical theology, stirs up affection for Christ and gives us a greater longing for his return. The most practical thing a pastor can do is teach his congregation to love Jesus and long to see his face. That's more practical than a three-step parenting sermon series that helps you to manage your money better. Question, when you read your Bible, Are you using biblical theology to love Jesus more? This is Wretched Radio. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared Bible
2: Hey, hey, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to Wretched Radio today. Your support means the world to us. We take our responsibility seriously and we're accountable to our gospel partners. And as such, we're members in good standing with the ECFA and undergo an annual audit to ensure we remain good stewards with the funds entrusted to us. We promise we are diligent in our stewardship of your generous gifts and we ensure every penny is put to good use. So if you've donated to us in the past, we thank you from the bottom of our heart and would also like to ask you to take the next step in becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. That is, only if you're not currently in debt and you're giving to your local church. If those things are taken care of, then would you prayerfully consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? And you might have questions about what it might look like in your life for that to happen. We've got answers. ratchetorg slash donate is where you can find those answers. Ratchet, Amazing grace
0: God has given the church many gifts for the building up of the body. One gift is giving. All Christians are commanded to give, but God has given some an extra measure of generosity so that they can give generously, knowing that God will provide for them as they work to provide for the needs of the church. This is Wretched
1: Radio with Todd Friel. Yes, Pastor, I'm afraid we're talking about... You, this is Wretched Radio, a subject that is near and dear to all of our Christian hearts because we all listen and love to hear preaching. We dig sermon hour. However, there are a lot of people who don't dig sermon hour. They prefer sermon 15 minutes. In other words, the debate over how long a sermon should go, it has been a raging battle. You'll hear people say, well, you know, the Puritans, two hours, three hours sometimes. So zip it when it comes to a 20-minute sermon. Okay, can we look back at history and determine how long a sermon should be? Or do we perhaps need, and this is always this is always a challenge, do we need to take a look at our current context and culture and ask, how long should a sermon be? Not because I'm trying to accommodate people, but because I'm just trying to be wise. For instance, I could try to build the case with your child. You need to lecture them on making their bed every day for two hours. I I could make that case. Not well, but I could make the case. And you would say that's excessive. It's a child. They can't pay attention to anything for two hours like that. Unfortunately, these days, a lot of us are pretty childish in that regard. We can't pay attention. It's affected all of us. There is no question about it. Your viewing habits have changed. Here's a statistic for you to support that, I think, pretty obvious statement. Do you know how long a YouTube video has to keep somebody engaged? In other words, how long does it take for a person? They click on a YouTube video. The thumbnail caught their attention. The title was catchy. It applied to them. Click. How long... Does a the average person watch that video before determining to go? I'm out, Jimmy. Twenty seconds. Not even close. Really? Mm-hmm. Want to try again? Five seconds. Three. Wow. Three seconds. Why? That's it's the way that we're all being trained. I got it. I I felt it in myself yesterday. I'm busy. I actually left the office <laughs> and found myself in the basement of my house because I'm working on. Uh, 13 scripts for road trip to truth season four. And I needed to concentrate, but guess what? Leaving the office and sitting in the basement of our house all by myself. I was still distracted. The phone is right there. Just right. And I kept just, texting you. i will just checking. You kept texting me. The <laughs> noise. But you can't help it. That's just the way that our brains are wired and trained maybe just maybe this rather helpful list from for the church 10 reasons your sermons shouldn't be too short or too long will guide all of us without compromising i i think the ideal is hey look 2 hours no no problem that that should be it but are we really compromising on the focus and elevation that we put on the preaching of the Word of God by saying, maybe there should be limits, and there's some considerations that don't mean compromise. It just means wise. Number one, your sermon shouldn't be too short because Sunday is often the only Bible your people will get each week. Sadly, that's true. Some churches, and even in good churches, people dutifully go for whatever reason, and it's the only time that a Bible is spoken to them where they hear the word read, or they hear preaching. Now, it could be somebody who's just checking out the church, but it could be the kids. It could be some parents who are still drinking a whole lot of milk, and it's the only milk that they get Sunday morning. So if you just do this 15-minute business, you're you're just not feeding the people that need nourishment a lot. Number two, your sermon shouldn't be too short, because the Word of God is Worthy of sustained attention, not drive-by sampling. Short shrifting, uh, the sermon, communicates to the people that the Bible is not worth gazing at. This is a, this is a line that you're, you hear on YouTube in youth groups all the time. All right, man, let's just do it. We're just going to do this really quick, man. Open up your Bible. Okay, you don't have to open a Bible. That's okay. Don't worry. If you got it on your phone, that's cool. But don't worry, we'll get through this really fast. What does that communicate? Number three, your sermon shouldn't be too short because hearing from God, and I don't mean in a voice, I mean hearing from God through the mouth of a sinful man as the word gets exegeted should have the most prominent place in the gathering. It should be longer than worship. I'm sorry, it just should. And these days, isn't the trend, when are we going to get to sit down? And on and on the music goes, and the worship team, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and then, okay, everybody, morning! And then we zip through a sermon. What does it say? That singing songs to God is more important than hearing from God. This is not to suggest worship is insignificant. Of course it's not. But the Word should be preeminent. Why? Because this is God's Word. He's communicating to us. This is from Cripplegate. No, for the church, one in the same. God deserves our words, but he can live without them. We, on the other hand, cannot live without a word from God. Ain't it the truth? Number four, sermons shouldn't be too short because the church should subvert, not support, convenience culture. We recognize that we are getting trained to have a shorter and shorter attention span The church needs to buck against that trend. No, we're not playing those reindeer games. We've got something worthy of your attention. And I think there's some validity to an argument to a degree. Hey, you can sit and watch a football game for three hours. Why can't you listen to a 30-minute sermon? To a degree, I get that. But let's be honest, it's a different thing. Listening to a sermon demands work, attention, some discipline because our bodies buck against the consumption of the Word of God. Let's not go with the trend. Don't make your sermons too short. The church isn't called to reflect the culture back to itself, but to train followers of Jesus to live in countercultural ways. Number five, sermons that are too short just don't do justice to biblical texts. What is too short? Well, let's take a look at the five ways that your sermon, five reasons your sermon shouldn't be too long, and maybe that'll answer your question. Number one, overly long sermons often dilute the substance of meaningful exposition. This is really interesting from For the Church. My diagnosis for too long sermons is usually that the preacher's trying to do too much. You don't have to say everything the text brings to your preparation. Now you, you 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 can leave stuff out. A judicious self-editing is one of the preacher's best tools. If your sermon is too long, it's likely that you are distracting people with rabbit trails, soapboxes, varying perspective on the on the text. Well, you know, this sect of Christians would say that maybe they we don't need to that can just be edited out because it dilutes the oh. Of a sermon, a verse should have a smack and a sting, and a sermon should have a purpose and a point. You should feel it and be moved to love Jesus more when you're done. And if you're going all over the place, you're distract. You're watering that down, and therefore your sermon is too long. Number two, there is such a thing as fatiguing people's ability to receive information. Just as it's not good to accommodate people's short attention span, it's also not good to test their endurance. Maybe build it up. Your people can only do 30 minutes. Okay. You can live with that for a bit. Then you start going 32, 34, 35. And you you grow them and build them in that endurance. You don't test it. People have a limit when it comes to downloading information. This is not a compromise. Don't you want people to love Jesus more when it's all done? Of course you do. If you just go on and on because you think that we're compromising by not preaching the word for 75 minutes on a Sunday, well, well then you're diluting the purpose of the entire endeavor. Number three, the aim of a sermon is worship, not exhaustive knowledge. That's that's why I've heard Steve Lawson, who who teaches expository preaching. He's the homiletics prof, the head of the division at Master SEM. And I think at Ligonier, he said, too many sermons are just a download dump. That's not what preaching is. Number four, it is better to leave people wanting more than wishing there'd been less. Many sermons are too long because the pastor just doesn't know how to land that plane. So if this, this is from for the church, if you are looking to the clock and going, ah, I got to really hurry to get this out, you're probably just doing too much. And finally, number five, brace yourself for this one, pastor whom we love. You're probably not that good of a preacher. I didn't say it. This guy in this thing for the church said it. If somebody's been preaching faithfully for a few decades, they, they probably are better. And maybe those sermons can be longer. But maybe you're not there yet. And you should consider that. Don't worry, you'll grow the Lord will expand your abilities. Don't think that you're, you're, you're being unfaithful because you don't go as long as some of the big boys can go. How long should a sermon be? Consider why it shouldn't be too short. Consider why it shouldn't be too long and then arrive at that conclusion. This is Wretched Radio.
2: It's now time for a wretched news break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. And we start with some news that's as surprising as rain falling from the sky, which actually isn't very surprising, just like Chick fil A being voted America's favorite restaurant yet again also isn't surprising. For the fifth year in a row, the restaurant has been named America's favorite restaurant, despite the fact that the establishment respects the tradition of closing on sundays again chick-fil-a named america's favorite restaurant chain and it's actually one of the i want to say two don't hold me to this because i haven't looked it up but if it's not ranked number two it's in the top five of the top grossing fast food restaurants in this country and they're closed one day a week this goes to show you that good customer service and quality food are important to people. The state house in the state of Maine has passed a bill that expands abortion access. The bill would allow medical practitioners other than doctors like nurse practitioners or physician assistants or certified nurse midwives to murder unborn babies. Now it needs the approval of the state Senate and the governor's signature to actually become law. Let's just hope that doesn't happen, but I wouldn't hold my breath well if you can believe this this is like a plot twist to a novel josh harris i don't know if you've heard the name but he's a former colleague of the prominent atheist richard dawkins he's in the news at the moment mr harris has announced his conversion to christianity yep a man who once aided dawkins in criticizing christianity has now embraced the faith himself asserting that jesus is who he says he is now if that doesn't prove the sovereignty and providence of god I don't know what will, and I don't know how much interaction or influence that Harris continues to have in the life of Richard Dawkins. Let's all pray God would use him to open eyes that we would never think would open. Finally, in North Carolina, Reverend Randy Orwig. I don't know if you've heard of the guy, but he has recently been fined $60,000. What did the good reverend do? Well, he decided that he was going to provide some shelter to homeless individuals in his church's gymnasium. Why is that such a bad thing that it would cause a $60,000 fine? Well, apparently he didn't get the stamp of approval from the city. Or actually, as the story says, he did not apply for and receive a city permit. Approval from the city and a city permit, though they sound similar, actually are two different things because approval is not really something they're concerned with. A permit where you give them money to allow you to do things, that's what they're concerned with. Orwig's response to the fine was a commitment to continue his shelter services because, in his words, it's the Christian duty to help those in need. If you know of this church in North Carolina and Reverend Randy Orwig and you have the means to do it, pay the man's fine. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks.
0: Books of the Bible The book of Joel describes a series of disasters that serve as God's judgment and a warning that an even more severe day of judgment is coming. When you see the power and fury of creation, do not fear nature, but fear him who controls nature. But if God's people will turn to him in repentance, he will be compassionate and rescue them. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Free. Gotta love those Puritans. Do not seek to get high ideas of yourself. Seek to get a low opinion of yourself. Easy it is for God, when He pleases, to cast His enemies down to hell. My confessions of wrong are so many aggravations of sin. I need to repent of my repentance.
1: This is Wretched Radio. Let's learn from some dead guys, shall we? Jonathan Edwards, known most famously for his Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God sermon, which he delivered monotonally, that can be an adverb, without a whole lot of inflection. He just let the words do the talking and the Holy Spirit do the convicting, Vividly describing your location if you are not in Christ. You are like a spider dangling from a web above a flame. And God is going to cut that cord, snap, down you go, and you'll spend eternity in hell. Sinners in the hands of an angry God, esteemed by many to be one of the most important sermons in American history. And I believe because today we see and hear so little of that kind of preaching. You and I, who are biblicists, love to go back in time and read them Puritans so that we can hear a little, because they delivered on it. But that was not the totality of their preaching. And I hold in my never-before-nicotine-stained fingers an example of that. This was sent to me from honor books. It is the best of Jonathan Edwards, 120 daily devotions to nurture your spirit and refresh your soul. And what you are going to hear from this devotional reminds us that the Puritans weren't just about hellfire preaching. Did they preach it? Yeah. And is there any of that in this devotional? Yeah, there certainly is. (laughs) There's a lot in this devotional. But you're going to hear other things. So just in case you're not familiar with Jonathan Edwards, uh, first, a little historical background. He was an accomplished man, lived from 1703 to 1758, born into a Puritan evangelical household in Connecticut. That was frontier country then. He was the fifth of 11 children, the only boy to boot, born to the Reverend Timothy, Oxford comma, and Esther Edwards. because. I'm sure Mrs. Edwards wasn't the reverend, too. Both parents were known to be devout Christians as well as industrious and intellectually bright. Reverend Edwards was a minister who supplemented his income by tutoring local school children. Smart guy, son, of course. The fruit didn't fall far from the tree. Jonathan's childhood education immersed him not only in the study of the Bible and Christian thought, but classics, natural sciences, ancient languages. Check this out. By age seven, he'd learn Latin. Okay, that's agitating. And by 12, he had added Greek and Hebrew to his linguistic repertoire. He entered Yale when he was 12 and graduated four years later at the head of his class. Okay, enough with the CV. This dude was smart, but I was captured by this. This is the foreword to the devotional on Jonathan Edwards. That Edwards has earned the reputation as a preacher of the fear-mongering, guilt-inducing brand is is as unfortunate as it is unfair. Those who pigeonhole him as such miss the complete picture of a towering figure of great intellect and influence. And someone who preached God's love and grace more than he did God's wrath and judgment was just sent a quote from John Wesley. Thank you very much for sending this in, John. Wesley attributed the success of the revival. You'll remember that Whitfield and Wesley were contemporaries. Wesley attributed the success of the revival to the power of the message. He discovered that by preaching the message, quote, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And the word of God spread like fire among the stubble. It was it was a hellfire sermon, but that wasn't the totality of his sermon. Yes, he used law. Yes, he talked about wrath and judgment and eternal conscious torment. Yes! And we should too. And if you don't, you need to start with your kids, from your pulpit, from your Sunday school class. Think law, gospel. Now, it's those are categories that need to be well-defined but if you at least think about them in sermon prep how you how you evangelize your children ask yourself the question was there any law in that was were there any threatenings in that cuz there should be because then the gospel balm can heal the wound that the law inflicted think about your sunday service think about the the totality of the service not just the sermon but from beginning to end was there law was there gospel involved The Puritans, they preached law. They preached hellfire. But that is not all they preached. And we need to be preaching the love of God, too. I think there are some of us who maybe are trying to make an adjustment for society. Nobody out there is preaching hellfire, so I'm going to do a lot of it. Nobody's preaching any law, so I'm going to preach law constantly. We want to preach the law lawfully, but we also need to be preaching the sweet stuff. Jonathan Edwards' most lasting importance is in his dynamic theology of God's ever-present redemptive love and beauty, which can add an exhilarating vitality to doctrine of the sovereignty of God. He elevated the love of God in his preaching, too, because if, 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 if we don't do that, I just, you can't help but wonder if this isn't one of the main reasons why we see just a plunging of young people following the Lord Jesus Christ. They maybe got gospel, they didn't get law, or they'd got nothing but law, moralisms. Joel Osteen is a moralizer. He's nothing but law. Do, 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 act, act, act. He's the model and representative. Act like him. You will become like him, which is famously and fabulously wealthy. That's law preaching. We need to preach the law lawfully, but also the love of God, which I believe is the better motivator to better behavior. That's right. The gospel of grace is a better motivator for sanctification. How so? You think law? Stop doing this. Mm-hmm. Gospel says you haven't done it. Jesus did. Now go to work. The work has been accomplished for your redemption. Now, respond to that knowing that you are in the love of God in Christ Jesus and you cannot be any more loved than Jesus is loved. And that's a lot. Without that knowledge, I don't think that we are seeing people endure. I don't think that we're seeing people grow in sanctification and they're not growing in knowledge of the Bible. Historian Harry S. Stout said, Edwards the preacher was about far more than fire and brimstone. Yes, hell was a real place in Edward's mind because it's in the Bible, and therefore worthy of continual warning to avoid it at all costs. But this was emphatically not the subject that preoccupied his thoughts and visions. Hold on, I don't know what he meant by visions, but thoughts were preoccupied by the beauty and the love of God, not a sinner dangling on a spider web. Heaven and love were the two most important words in Edward's sermons. That's fascinating. And he was far more concerned that his congregation come to a saving knowledge of God through an awareness of the beauty of God's great and powerful redemptive love for them. That is a balance that I think we do well to determine, am I striking it? Am I close to that? Am I preaching law rightly? Am I preaching the gospel sweetly? A demonstration. This is day three, I believe. Just to give you an idea of the balance. Number one, Christ, the wisdom of God. Two, the uncertainty of time. Four, the extreme dangers of lust. Five, the Holy Spirit, a fountain of holiness and joy. Six, diligently avoid sin. Seven, acknowledge your dependence on God. Here's number eight. Here we go. God's inevitable judgment of wicked men. There it is. Build your life on the right foundation. What account will you give to God? God has given each one of us a conscience. Do you hear the balance here? Reflect as you read the Bible. So some teaching about how to read the Bible rightly. Here's God's gift of grace based on Ephesians 2, 8, 9, which you know. The redeemed receive all their good from God. God is the author of it, the first cause of it, the only proper cause. It is God who provided a savior for us. Jesus Christ, not only of God in his person, as he is the only begotten Son of God, but he is from God. He is the gift of God to us. God gives Christ to the church. Hey, church, you get my son as your head. It is of God that Christ becomes ours that we are united to him. It is of God that we receive faith to be close to him and have interest in him. It is of God that we receive all the benefits Christ has purchased. The God who pardons, justifies, and delivers us from hell. Into his favor the redeemed are received when they are justified. So it is God who delivers from the dominion of sin, cleanses us from our filthiness, changes us from our deformity. It is of God that the redeemed receive all their true excellency, wisdom, and holiness. Have you heard that lately? How good God is? How gracious he is? I'll use the word loving and I'll use the word beautiful that he is. If not, perhaps, perhaps, you need to make an adjustment. This is Wretched Radio. Busy, busy, busy. Last year, preborn ministries provided over 92,000 ultrasounds. 54,000 babies were saved. 69 ultrasound machines were placed. 10,000 people responded to the gospel. With trained specialists, which is why the success rates are so staggeringly high at saving lives with preborn. Please consider supporting preborn at preborn.org/richard. slash wretched
2: Are you tired of feeling like you're living in a world that makes no sense? Do you find yourself constantly questioning the meaning of life? Well, this Independence Day, you can change all of that, and we can help can formulate a biblical worldview by picking up the Wretched Worldview Bundle. The Wretched Worldview Bundle includes seasons one and two of Wretched Worldview along with their study guides. And with this bundle, you'll get a biblical perspective that can help you make sense of this crazy upside down world. For a limited time, you can get the Worldview Bundle for just $29.99. So don't spend another day feeling like you're lost and confused. Just get the worldview bundle today and start seeing the world through a biblical lens. Pick up your worldview bundle right now by visiting wretched.org slash worldview.
1: So you're not convinced of the importance of training men to rightly divide the word of truth and fill pulpits internationally, fine then we'll let Paul Washer convince you.
2: It is so important, not just important, it's absolutely essential to have a trained expositor of the scripture in every church. When we read through the book of Acts, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ advances as the word of God advances.
1: Would you please consider joining the Masters Academy International in filling empty pulpits with men who can exposit the scriptures and advance the kingdom of God It's a magnificent ministry with a generational impact. Please learn more about supporting TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor. Wretched.org slash pastor for the Masters Academy International.
0: Hermeneutics. A vital part of biblical hermeneutics is an understanding of genre. One genre we find in scripture is poetry. Poetry relies on imaginative and figurative language to expand on a theme, examine emotions, and reflect on who God is and what He has done. God's timeless truth is written down by biographers and artists alike.
1: This is Wretched
0: Radio with
1: Todd Freer. Should I be able to practice self-control? Yes. Am I going to? No. This is Wretched Radio, a devotional. From Jonathan Edwards, the best of Jonathan Edwards, 120 daily devotions, reflecting Jonathan Edwards' theology proper, his understanding of who God is. You and I rattle off omnipotence, omniscience. Do we include benevolence, his mercy, his grace, his kindness, his love for us despite our treatment of him? Jonathan Edwards had balance. He talked law. He talked gospel. He talked hell. He talked heaven. He talked damnation. He talked justification, and he talked about Jesus Christ a lot. And I can't help but share this because we need this. We need this. This is should not be the totality of our theological diet, but it needs to be on the plate. Otherwise, you're going to lose joy. You're going to lose energy. You're 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 not going to have the yes. I get to not look at porn. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to treat my spouse that way. You need this as your your, your gunpowder to ignite your passion for God and for people. We love him because he first loved us. That's 1 John four nineteen. Listen, this is Edwards. Mr. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. This love of Christ is exceedingly sweet and satisfying from the greatness of it. This love is a dying love. Such love has never been seen before, and no other love can parallel it. There have been instances of very great love between one earthly friend and another. There was a surpassing love between David and Jonathan, but there has never been such love as Christ has toward believers. The satisfying nature of his love arises almost from its sweet fruits. Those precious benefits that Christ bestows on his people and those precious promises that he has given them are the fruits of his love. Joy and hope are the constant streams that flow from this fountain, from the love of Christ. Sweet, eh? Has your diet been lacking the love of God? At the bottom of this devotional, there's a reflection question. And this might be helpful for you, perhaps on this particular subject, but it might be helpful for you if you are struggling these days to be transformed by the power of God's Word. It feels like there's a disconnect. You love hearing it, but you don't really feel it in response. So here's the reflection question here. Ponder the deep love of Christ for people and for you. Are you filled with his joy and hope? If not, why not? Why are the biblical promises of Christ so precious? And this devotional seeks to do what Jonathan Edwards actually talks about in this devotional. You need to read thoughtfully, meditatively, pondering. What is God saying about himself? What is he saying about Jesus? What is he saying about me? What is he saying about my salvation and, and reading to stop and actually digest it? All right, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You can burn through it. By grace are you saved through faith, that and out of yourselves. Is it a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast? And that's maybe how you read it because you've read it a thousand times. Hold it. By grace, you have been saved. And you can ponder, save from what? And you can remember, woe the wrath of God. I am the spider dangling from a web. And instead of cutting the cord, he redeems me. He rescues me. Ponder the word of God. And that's exactly what Jonathan Edwards encourages in this devotional. This was from day 13. Reflect as you read the Bible. Perhaps this will be helpful for you. Join self-reflection with reading and hearing the word of God. That's right. Not only do you get to hear about God, but you get to turn your focus on your favorite subject and mine, ourselves. But not for the sake of some self-esteem gobbledygook, but to be humbled and then to recognize that God is going to exalt us in due time. So we have humility and we have joy abounding. Join self-reflection with reading and hearing the word of God. When you read or hear, Reflect on yourselves as you go along, comparing yourselves with your own ways with what you read or hear. Reflect and consider what agreement or disagreement there is between the word and your ways. Well, that's, that's something to do. If your reading of the Bible has been flat lately or for quite a while, start doing this. Let it start correcting you. This is another way to read it. All right, Lord, I'm going to read Ephesians 2 again. And I'm going to stop at each verse, maybe each each parenthetic or, or at each thought inside of a sentence. And I'm going to ask, am I living in conformity to this? And I'm going to ask you for your help and for your forgiveness where I'm not. That would be another way to read the Bible, wouldn't it? It'll make it alive to you. The scriptures testify against all manner of sin and contain directions for every duty. As the Apostle Paul wrote, all scripture is given for inspiration, etc. Therefore, when you read the rules given to us by Christ and his apostles, reflect and consider each one of you. Do I live accordingly to this rule or do I live in any respect contrary to it? If you haven't been growing in sanctification, this is going to reveal to you yet more areas where you need to throw yourself at the mercy of Christ. Are you reading your Bible this way? Last paragraph from Jonathan Edwards. When you read in the historical parts of Scripture an account of the sins which others have been guilty, reflect on yourself as you go along and inquire whether you do not in some degree live in the same or like practices. All right, so you're reading about David and Bathsheba. Oh, David. is a man after God's own heart and he does that. Hold on. You're in Christ and you do that. And yet, from the lineage of David is one who didn't, and who credits you with his purity. That that that's what Jesus has done for us. He saved a lot of David's. Don't just read about, don't read about Saul. We read about Saul and it's like, he was just crazy. I mean, seemingly certifiably, he had to have a harp played so that his spirit could be calmed. Come on, this guy trying to kill somebody, hunting around the country, trying to kill his God-ordained successor. Whoa, he's nuts, hold it. Do you ever act like Saul? Do you ever not seek God? Do you ever go to other sources of information, whether it's a medium, whether it's a tarot card, whether it's a fortune cookie, where it's somebody who's not a believer, somebody who doesn't speak to you biblically? We are a lot like Saul. We run from God all too often. See yourself in Saul, but then don't stop there. Don't stop there. Otherwise, you are going to be living under the perception that people have of the Puritans. That's all they did. No, they did not. They lift up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back to Jonathan Edwards. Helping us. When you read the historical parts of Scripture, see if you've been guilty. Reflect. Ask questions. When you read accounts about how God reproved the sins of other people and executed judgments on them for their sins, examine whether you are guilty of the things of the same nature. When you read the examples of Christ and of the saints recorded in Scripture, inquire whether you live in ways contrary to their good examples. When you read there how God commended and rewarded any persons for their virtues and good deeds, inquire. Whether you perform those duties for which they were commended and rewarded, or whether you live in the contrary. Reflection. Have you ever tried reading the Bible like this? That wasn't my reflection. It's from the devotional. If so, what happened? Why is it essential for us to examine the lives of biblical characters? Jonathan Edwards can help us find our balance. It's too easy for us to whiplash. We, we criticize even Big Eva, rightly so. We criticize liberals, rightly so. But we too are guilty of whiplash theology. Whoa, 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 too extreme over there. We're going to go to the other extreme. And we should all ask the question, have we done that? In fact, there are some churches, they will actually take on an extreme as their mantle. This is, this is our distinctive. We stand against this, or we are for that. And, and that most likely, not perhaps exclusively, but most likely is whiplash theology in action. That you see a deficiency in an area or something really bad, and then you just go to the opposite extreme. We, we, we don't want to do that. We want to stand opposed to evil, of course. We denounce bad theology, but we don't make our thing just the opposite of the thing that we perceive to be a negative. Because too much of a, you put two positives together and you get a negative. Now, I don't even think that works scientifically, but you get the point. Make sure, make sure, law, gospel, sin, grace, damnation, salvation, hell, heaven, the devil, Jesus. And make sure you watch your balance. And reading the Bible introspectively can help you do just that. And until tomorrow, go serve your King.